well, well, I can just tell you, I can tell you before you ask too many questions, there's a, there's a, um, uh, my partner at the time, Stu Zuckerman and I, we wrote, uh, two drafts of the, of Electra. And then, uh, we were, uh, we were in the middle of writing a third draft when, uh, when we were told that another writer was writing, uh, from scratch, a brand new draft, uh, Zach Penn. Okay. And, uh, he then, you know, based on having read our two drafts, he then wrote the movie that you have seen, Electra. So now were you, okay, so, oh, okay, so, so, I got you, so, I got you. So, so what happened was, I mean, he wrote it, um, you know, and it's really interesting when you, when you look at the, the way, um, credits are given in movies. Right. You know, the way, the way it happens, you have the first writers are, are on there, and then the, you know, and then the, the ampersand between my partner and I means we wrote it together the and means you know then the next writer then wrote on the movie um we actually ended up um uh you know credit arbitrations uh happen when the when a writers when the writers guild is trying to decide who gets credit for a screenplay when there's a number of different writers or entities that have written on a movie so we actually went to uh, arbitration on that movie oh, wow. and and we, we would, no, it was, it was very pleasant. I mean, okay. Zach Penn's a lovely guy. And when I say very pleasant, I mean, it's like pleasant, like going to a very good dentist. Right. Uh, uh, but what, what you do, it's interesting. They, they, the Writers Guild sends you a, a little, um, a little, uh, complex document that describes how credit is actually given on movies. And I, I at the time, I, I, I was, even though I had already written a, a few movies I I'd never been in an arbitration and never wanted to know about them so I didn't really understand credit until that moment but um you know uh they they sort of go down a list of um what uh is given the most credence basically what happens is they they put together a bunch of writers um who you don't you don't know who they are they're taken from the from the guild and they're sent every single draft of the script with dated but without the names of the writers on them and then though then they are they make an assessment based on different uh parts of the script to see how much of the original script uh remains in the finished movie uh in the shooting script and when i say remains in i don't mean actual words written on the page the thing that was so surprising to me is for example things are weighted different ways but dialogue uh, in a movie is the very last consideration. It means almost nothing. So, for example, you, wow. could have written, you could throw away all your dialogue and write all new dialogue, and it'll still be your movie. That's why people are hired all the time to do dialogue passes. Script doctors, they come, right. Because script, well, well, script doctors doesn't necessarily mean dialogue. A oh, script okay. Come in, a script doctor can come in and, 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 and reorder the script. They can rewrite the third act. They can add a character. They can... Oh, what's, 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 shit. Very surprising is that, especially when this Electra was so complicated, because Electra is based on pre-existing material, uh, a, a pre-existing character that has existed in many, many different iterations. So we were very clear about. I, I know a lot about the comic books. I we sat with Frank Miller before the <gasps> we started writing, before we started writing the first draft. And oh, had my nipples yeah, are yeah. so hard right now. The fact that you got to sit with Frank Miller, that is awesome. It, it was amazing. And we, and, and I was, I, I, as a, as a big comic book fan, I, and we, you know, we sat with Jennifer Garner and pitched her the entire oh. movie, got her on board and all that stuff. So I, I, my partner and I were very steeped in the lore and we decided, we decided which Electra comic books we would 
draw from as you know as our sort of inspiration and um they were uh electra assassin and wolverine electra redeemer okay we, and, we, and we pulled we which was a the you know the um uh uh it's sort of a, a novelistic um comic book with illustrations by this famous japanese artist and that's that had in it electra is teamed up with this young girl and the young girl in the end turns out to be a little bit of a, of a, you know, be more than she appeared to be. And, uh, and in fact is good. And so there, basically what I'm saying is in terms of arbitration, you have to then describe for the committee what, what the source material was, what you drew on the source material, what new characters you created for the material, what, um, new dramatic situations you created for the material where places you brought the characters that were not in adapted that were your own story ideas story structure ideas that you had for the movie right and then the next writer their contribution is looked at so when all the scripts were said and done while while mr penn did a full page one rewrite that means not a single word in that movie i mean anything that anyone says and anything that anyone does in terms of an action line in the movie can be attributed to me. I didn't write any of it. Um, he he drew so he was adhered so much to the story structure that we had chosen. He used all the characters, the new characters we had created. He um, he had a lot of the scenes had the same emotional weight and drive that we had created. And a lot of the key moments in the movie, like Electra has a relationship with a little girl and sees herself reflected back, that was all that was our idea. So, and then the supervillains that we created for that movie, although the names were changed um, by Marvel and by Zach Penn for lots of other reasons, uh, we created this sort of team of supervillains, and and we and and then Zach again completely rewrote every moment that you see them, everything they say and everything they do, but because we created them, we share credit with him. So we, so on that movie, I have a, I'm very proud of the fact it's the only time of all the movie. I wrote a lot of movies with all those of every movie I wrote. My partner and I, I'm very proud that that movie was made and that my name is, is that I'm associated with it. And, and, you know, and, and as the years go by, I, I'm, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great thing, you know, to be, to have, I can point to that and say, yes, I did, I wrote a movie that got made. A lot of writers can't say that. They may have, writers have written 10, 15 movies, 20 movies. They, many writers go through their whole careers never having a movie made. So that, I'm very proud of that. And, and it was, uh, and I loved working with, with the guys at Marvel. And I loved working with, uh, with, uh, with Kevin Feige and with Avi Arad and Ari Arad. And they were, oh, wow. it was a, it was a, and I also wrote another Marvel movie, uh, Deathlock, uh, with my partner, Stu. I saw and that both, on your IMDb page, in fact. Yeah, so both, both, both experiences were, were great experiences. But it's interesting because people always, I'm sorry to have rambled, but people always say to me, so, uh, hey, you know, Electra, damn you, you wrote the worst Marvel movie. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh I, and I, I say to them, like, first of all, it's not a bad movie. Second of all, it's it's uh it's it's a movie that was made very cheaply. Uh unlike a lot of these very large scale Marvel movies, Electra was made for much less. Um and it was uh, at a time when Marvel movies were not as sensational as they are now. And I think it's a I think Jennifer Jennifer did a great job and 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 I'm proud of it, but 
although my name is on it, there is not a word in it that I wrote. <laughs> that, and if that isn't a great place to put the theme, I don't know what is. Slum, slum, slum. Gullion, slum gullion, we've got season two of the slum gullion, Jeff and Scott still host the slum gullion, I still don't know what that word means. Slum gullion, we still got some guests on the slum gullion, we're not showing breasts on the slum gullion, should probably fade. Hello and welcome to a very special episode. We had a very special guest a while back. We've got another one. Not only does my guest today write for one of the coolest shows on television right now, but he also has one of the coolest names that I have heard in forever. Allow me to introduce producer, writer of the finale of the Fox television show Sleepy Hollow, Mr. M. Raven Metzner. Good morning, sir. Good morning. And I am going to ask right off the bat, um, what should I call you, Mr. Cool Name? Should I call you Raven? Can I call you M? Can I call you M? Uh, just Raven is Raven is my is the name I've been going by for a very long time. Understood. But, uh, fine. But uh, if, we, if we if we get along during this uh, during this conversation, I promise you at the very end, I'll tell you what M stands for. Oh, ooh, a bonus there. I just wanted to make a Bond <laughs> reference. That's even better. All righty then. Okay, so. Uh, Raven, that was, like I, I told you during the theme song, that was absolutely fascinating, dude. I had no clue how arbitration worked. The writer in me just learned so much. I've gone to school. I, I feel like you should give me a diploma now or something or give me a test. Well, it's interesting. A lot of writers, it's interesting, like many things in life, but also in, in, in writing, you don't know about it until it happens to you. It's like... Do you know what it's like to be audited by the IRS? No. And yeah. then you get audited and you, and you, and then unfortunately you'd find out it's a similar experience. Uh, many writers, you know, don't understand. It's very, you know, arbitration is, and, and, and credit in, is a very complicated issue. And until you get into that situation, you don't fully understand it. But it's a great way to sort of pivot into talking about Sleepy Hollow because really the reason why my, my partner and I, uh, at the time, Stu Zickerman, um, who is a, a tremendously talented and amazing writer who has, he was worked on the Americans for two seasons and he's now on, uh, and, and on uh, the divorce and now he's on the HBO show marriage. And he's just an incredibly talented writer. He, he and I uh, had written a bunch of, we had, a, we went to college together. We were friends for many years and we wrote a lot of movies together. Um, in, in, and when we got, we actually, after the electric experience, we sort of turned to each other and Stu said, you know that was a both a very good and a very bad experience in right. that in in that we know in that we learned the truth about uh, what many feature writers go through, which is that you know they're in, in many ways they are looked at. It's almost like when you're building a house, you go, hey, we got someone to be built the frame. Now let's call on the guy to do the walls. Okay, now let's call on the guy to do the windows. Like they're very interchangeable. The director is the key to a movie and the producer, and they bring in writers as needed. And in television, we had heard that a writer has much more um, say, that a writer can, you know, is, is allowed on set, that a writer gets to know the actors, that a writer um, will produce their own episodes, that a writer will rewrite on, on the day. They will write, rewrite their own episode. And so we were so entranced by that idea after our experience on Electra that we got into television. And, you know, and then we spent 
you know, many fruitful years together working on that, uh, on different projects. And we had a show on ABC called Six Degrees that was a really wonderful experience for both of us. And then um, I, uh, after our partnerships sort of moved apart, we moved apart from each other, I worked on a couple of other projects. And then my first real network television show was Sleepy Hollow. And I moved out here to California to work on it. And it, and I was also a very big fan of the first season. I came in on the second season and I loved the show. And it's very rare when you, as a fanboy, you get to work on a show that you, that you are a fan of. But awesome. it, I, I, I immediately found that, uh, you know, as I've found throughout my career in, in television, that you have much, a writer has much more opportunity to, as much as, you know, as they can be a part of every single piece of the finished product. So in terms of, say, the finale of Sleepy Hollow, um, uh, season four, you know, I, not only did I, you know, write the draft and, and with, you know, and, and, and work with the director, Russell Fine, you know, all the way through and, and, you know, and of course with, with the help of, of, of Albert Kim and Clifton Campbell and the rest of our staff, you know, in support, but, I got to then, you know, of course, I went to set and I was with all the actors. And, and for every scene, I was, you know, I picked the music. I was part of the, I worked with the prop people. I worked with the costume people. Oh. I got, to, you know, we, we, I sat in the edit. I edited the episode. I, okay, you know, okay. You know, all the way through. Okay, I'm interrupting you here now. We're, you, since you got into the finale, we're getting into the finale. Fan geek and me. Questions. First yeah. off, yeah. when you knew that the devil was going to be in the episode. Um, yeah. This is overall. Were you guys automatically thinking Terrence Mann? Did he show up and did you go, oh my God, that's perfect? Was Terrence Mann in the thought process all along or was that just a happy accident? Because when Albert teased that there was going to be a special villain guest when I talked to him and when I saw Terrence Mann, I knew he was going to be the special guest and then when I found out he was playing the devil, I was like, that's freaking perfect. And he was well, perfect, by the way. Oh man, he was amazing. He was per he was amazing. We 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 had a uh, a very uh, we our casting department put together a very very short list of um of of people that they were interested in uh, that they thought might be interesting. And Terrence Mann was was uh, uh, was on that list. It was, okay. like, it was, four, it was like four names, <laughs> and uh, and we uh, we 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 went down the list and. Uh, I think it was pretty unanimous uh, between myself and Albert and Clifton that he was the best choice, and the studio and network were 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 down to do it. So, and he was absolutely lovely. And you know, as a Critters fan, it was always great to have him. And also as a uh, as a uh, fan of um, of you know of Les Mis, come on, I mean he he uh, yeah. he, he originated Javert. He, the yes. guy's a is a genius. So his rendition was, of stars is still, I think the best one that I've ever heard. And I have seen that show more times than I care to admit. Yeah. So yeah, it was lovely. It was, he was fantastic. And, you know, and he really brought, uh, he brought a lot to that character and to the, to the episode. It was fantastic. Not only was that a great story, Raven, but that story was long enough for my friend, colleague, and co-host Scott Clevenger to join us. Scott, meet Raven. Raven, meet Scott. It's a hey. pleasure. How do you do? 
Really excellent. We've been having a, a nice conversation. Glad you're here to join us. Thank you. You missed an amazing story about Writers Guild arbitration, but you'll hear it when you listen to the episode. And you missed um, talking about Terrence Mann. Oh, Terrence Mann, the... Uh... The devil, yes. Right. <laughs> oh. We just started getting into the episode. You know, I was uh, that was my big question is uh one of the one of my biggest surprises was that uh uh I was I was looking forward to seeing how uh, Sleepy Hollow, you know, with its very uh intriguing and outre lore yeah. uh depict, depicted the father of lies and it, it turns out he's the uh architect from The Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> <laughs> Only a after, lot creepier. After, after well, after having slept on a waffle iron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, the next question that I specifically wanted to throw at you uh, is I wanted to know how much of uh, Cranes, and I am horrible with names, um, our main main female character's descent into hell with the shifting viewpoints, how much of that was in the script and how much of that was the directing? Because that was amazing. Um, That uh, was... That was something. That was a concept that I had very early on. Oh, dude, uh, that, you uh, get so many bonus points. That I, that I, um, you know, as, as always, when you're writing a television episode, you have to think about it from a purely story standpoint. And then you also have a little voice in your head saying, you know, one day soon I will be producing this. Um, so I had the idea, and I, I called Russell Fine, our our producing director, who is such a talented man, and I said, hey. You know, uh, this is the concept, um, you know, it might, you know, it might entail us shooting the same scene in two different locations, which on a very tight schedule is tough to do because you got to, it's, you know, you're taking away all those hours that you need for other stuff. And he said, are you kidding? It's an awesome idea. Let's do it. So we did. And uh, he had a, he really did, he did the whole thing except for the, you know, the hell door. He did the whole thing practically. So we. We, the camera positions were placed in exactly the same line in both different locations, and the scene was shot in duplicate in both places. And then in the editing room, we cut together that sort of scene. Um, and the snowy wasteland, you know, was the, although we were in Atlanta um, in the in, in February and there had just been a snowstorm, it all melted. So our amazing uh, um, uh, special effects department was able to recreate a snowy hill uh, and, and 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 put those two things together. So that was a that was actually a really great example of I think of how television differs from features and how powerful the television medium is for a for a writer producer because you know you're able to and you know you're able to have an idea like that and then make literally make it real you know and then you get to stand there and be there and then you get to you know, uh, uh, work with your like we worked very closely with the VFX department to get that hell door just right. That so it worked in both the outdoor scene and and in the orphanage. And our editor Scott, he had that the cool little moment with Molly where the, the the edit kind of jumps in on her, and that was a that was Scott Haugen, our sorry Steve Haugen, our our editor. So everyone sort of tv is such a great medium because it's such it's so collaborative and that was a great example of it being so collaborative and i gotta say also massive massive kudos because this genuinely surprised me for not killing off again i'm horrible with names adult molly 
Oh, yeah. I genuinely uh, thought she was going to die. The whole episode I was waiting for is the fact that she did. Laura? Yeah, Laura, thank you. I'm like, this yeah. is a paradox that I'm cool with because I love that character. Yeah, Seychelle Gabrielle is the best, and she did a great job. I worked with her on Falling Skies, and that's, that's another great example. I of, thought I recognized yeah. her from something. Okay. Yeah, so that's another great example of, of, I think, of working in television as opposed to feature films. Like, you write a character. Like, you know, we, we created Lara to show up in episode 11, you know, and, and uh, we're looking for someone who can adequately play, you know, the, the grown-up Molly and also – you know, uh, you know, will fit into the mix and is a great actress in the right age. And, you know, I'm like, hey, how about this woman I worked with on this awesome show, you know, Falling Skies, what's she doing? And next thing you know, there she is. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a really cool, you know, and, you know, in, in feature films, you basically, people call you up and they go, we're going to this actor. <laughs> so it's cool that you get to, you know, as we talked about with Terrence Mann, that you get to, you know, um, be a, be a part of, you know, of course with, with the collaboration of, you know, your, your showrunners, you know, that, that you're able to, to, uh, um, uh, be a part of that is really, really fantastic. All right, Scott, are you waking up to throw anything at the man? Uh, I'm, I know I'm, I'm getting, I'm it. kidding. I'm easing it. I understand. Uh, well, I mean, we we so we talked a little bit about the finale, but um, you guys said that you were. I have a question for you guys, actually. Yeah, you guys are are you guys are are big fans of the Sleepy Hollow series, and you said you've been watching it from the beginning. You know, Albert and I both came in at the beginning of season two, and we were, you know, and I think we, you know, although we had you know, a lot of of input in season two, we really didn't have as much as we were able to have in seasons three, and then when Albert, you know, became, you know co-showrunner in season four along with Clifton we really had much more and I became an, an, an EP we really had much more of a say on the story arcs and the and the and, and one of the big things that Albert and I really wanted to do after season one which was so fun but left so many questions was try to answer a lot of the questions and and tie together some of the mythology so that it um so it all sort of felt satisfying and and and, and didn't leave big holes so I guess my question to you is were were we successful uh actually i can't i can jump in here because um unlike jeff i i'm not a fan from uh, season one on i i was a fan of season one uh and season two lost me yeah toward the toward the end season three i took it off the dvr um and thought i was done with the show and then jeff said they've really changed it they really re revamped uh, the show for season four, you should go back and watch it. Uh, grumblingly. Which he usually does whenever I say you should watch something. Scott's always grumble, grumble, grumble. And 90% of the time, I'm right. 90% of the time, you're right. And and, and this was part of that percentage. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. No, I they've completely rejiggered this in a very uh, appealing fashion. So now I'm... Now I'm a fan of the show again. Um, I felt like, uh, you know, it, it, it Sleepy Hollow was such an odd duck when it started. It was just part of what I loved about it. It, it, it was, it wasn't exactly a monster of the week show like Supernatural, and it wasn't a supernatural procedural like Grimm, um, as a one a friend of mine described it. It's, um, it was sort of. Like 
fantasy novel meets national treasure. <laughs> um, you know, there were mon- if that makes sense. I mean, there were monsters of the week, uh, but you often eventually got the feeling that they were part of a larger story. And yeah. uh, uh, like, and, and it was just and, and the 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 um, the the way history was used. I mean, it was uh, clearly Crane's reverence for American history was juxtaposed with the uh, producers and writers ability uh, to um, uh, just squeeze, squeeze American history for every last drop (laughs) of story it was worth. Um, It it was just it, it was a it was a very fun uh, kind of fun sort of craziness. And then in the second season, um, the, the sort of urban fantasy thing took over. And this happens in like the second books of urban fantasy novels, a series I've noticed. Um, it just seemed like the lore got so far up its own butt, um, that, and, and that kind of happens when you do try to answer a lot of questions I have noticed. And some questions I wasn't, as an audience member, I wasn't clamoring to, find out because i like what was going on with the characters um yeah it's usually when the characters get familiar enough that you take them for granted that you start really clamoring to find out what the plot details mean um so i think um, i think for me the question answering which is a good impulse granted if you hold off on that too long you will turn off your audience um but i think in this case it might have been slightly premature for my taste now um, I'm going to throw in here on this to provide the 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 alternate to that. Right. Um, only I I actually did like the change in tone for the first season. Only because again, one of the things that I think is overall so cool about this show is I think every year it has in one way or another rebooted itself. Every year it be it has become something different. The first season was, um, as I said to Albert, batshit crazy. Like I I likened the show to um, d- the original Dark Shadows, yep. just batshit crazy. The second season was much more story oriented. It was darker, and you know I really I thoroughly enjoyed that. Third season, you know, I mean, they, they've solved the major plot line. There's a whole new storyline. I enjoyed that. Fourth season, again, complete and total reboot. I love, I have really appreciated the fact that the show has constantly reinvented itself in one way or another. For good or ill, I give you, I give you guys massive balls for constantly changing things and not sticking with the status quo. I, well, well, it's, not- well it, it's interesting that you guys, it's interesting because, you know, especially as, fans of this show for and i think it's you know look everyone you know different different pieces of the show appeal to different people in different ways and it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about it and also but but i think one thing i don't know if albert got into this but again it's the same way we're talking about arbitration in terms of feature films you know people are like you know they'll say to me all the time you know oh i love i love that i love that episode the dialogue was so good and it's like and you're like, wait, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a writer. I, I, I write television and I write movies. I, I'm not a dialogue writer. I mean, I do write dialogue, but the last thing that I do is write the dialogue. Every other piece of the, of that people usually love about a story is nothing to do with what people are saying. Yet the thing that everyone remembers is the least important part, which is the words coming out of people's mouths. Like, and in fact, actors even don't 
love saying dialogue. They're always saying, hey, you know, we don't really need this dialogue. I could just, you know, I can just act this moment. Like when, for, in a lot of cases, like Tom Meisen, they can. <laughs> I guess all that is to say, all that is to say that it's really interesting to hear you guys talk about a lot of the way the way the, the seasons of the show evolve. But I mean, but I and very few people need to know this or do know this. But it wasn't. It's not by design on the part of the writers of the show. Right. It is a one hundred percent like the things that everyone saw happen were reactions to um, the, the 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 DNA of the show. Um, from an external perspective, like you have to remember, like the show was created by by Kirsman and Orsi, and you know, and they were in the writers' room all the way through season one, and very much, and and you know, and 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 very much a part of the writing of the show. I mean, they and and very much a part of that batshit crazy, rushing ahead, awesome pace, and great emotional fun scenes, and, and real, it's really their, that's their, that's their trademark. And then real fast you know, then to they, blow some smoke up yeah. your ass, though, real yeah. fast. That's what this season got back for me. That's what yeah, was well, been so yeah. fun about season four is it, it, it got that batshit crazy fun back again. But I know, but that's that, I guess what I'm saying oh, I'm is sorry. that you know, no, 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 you're right. I, I'm glad. Thank you for saying that. That's awesome. But you know, like uh, I think I was saying earlier, like. You know, when they when in season two, when I came on board, they were around, but not as much as they had been before. And they were and, and, the, and the the studio and network, you know, they felt like they that, that it's very hard to maintain a that pace. Um, and they wanted to try for something that felt a little bit more episodic and a little bit more like Supernatural, a little bit more like shows that you know, that you can kind of, or grim, that you can grind out with a monster of the week. And so it it was a little bit more of us as writers who love the first season, trying to find a balance in which you can still have that awesome pace and, and fun and, 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 and also give all the other people who wanted what they wanted from the show, what they wanted. And I think that's why season two felt a little bit different and people didn't respond to it in the same way. And then season three, I think similarly, like, you know, we were, you know, again, the show lives at 13 episodes. It shouldn't be 18 episodes yet. We, again, you're doing 18 episodes and, you know, and so I I guess what I'm saying is that a lot of the things that you guys are saying, which I, I appreciate so much about, you know, the, some of the foibles of the show and some of the things where we failed the show and also some of the ways that we were able to help it and to make it better and make it uh, sing, I think a lot of that is, you know, it's not like we were sitting around going like, hey, this year, let's do this. Like, right. you know, it's like, you know, you kind of get, you kind of, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, again, it's a collaboration and not just on the creative end. It's a collaboration on the business end. It's a collaboration on the marketing end. It's a collaboration on the, uh, when this, when the executives look at their, their slate, where, what night are we going to put this on? And, what are we going to pair it with and what works for us and what is our brand? And, you know, so, and when you have, like you said earlier, a very odd duck, like Sleepy <laughs> Hollow was in, yes. in, in season, in season one, I think that a lot of people, uh, people didn't know what it was. It found an audience and people were jazzed by it because it was so different and new, but then it's like, okay, but then what is it? Like, it's, is it a procedural? Is it a supernatural procedural? Is it a, like, no one, no one could ever really define it, and, and everyone had a different idea about what it was. And if you look at the roster of our, 
you know, it wasn't like we had uh, one showrunner like you, a show like Fargo has right. that stayed with the show all the way through and told everyone what the show is and was and fought for it and demanded that it be a certain thing. We had uh, these very incredible creators who sort of made this amazing thing and then tried their best to keep it moving along. But, 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 you know, and, and eventually I think, as you said, it, it did come back to itself. And I think given the chance it could continue in that, in that vein, Absolutely. but, it, but, but it took it, I guess what I'm saying is, um, it, it's it, if you really pick these things apart, it's interesting because as an audience member, when I look at TV shows now, having worked on a few TV shows, I have my creative, you know, things I love and things I don't love about shows. And then sometimes I'll go on a meeting and I know an executive worked on a show and I'll be like, hey, can I ask you a question about like, wh- where did that idea come from or where did that big <laughs> twist come from or was that from the showrunner or the, like because because it, it's impossible to know when watching it how it all happened, you know, but, uh, I'm really glad to hear that both of you came back around to the show in season four, because we felt like when we were making season four, that we were back where we wanted to be. Well, I got, and, um, and, I, yeah, that's all. No, I was going to say, I mean, the, the first episode, like, I, I'm, to be honest, I didn't even know, I had not heard anything about season four that had gotten a season four i didn't realize that it was even coming back until quite literally the week of the season premiere and i went holy shit yes so me and my buddy who i've watched every episode with one friend of mine we've watched it again first air and so we sat down we watched it and we're both sitting there we got big smiles on our faces the entire time we were both sitting there going okay new city how is this gonna work and at the end of it i looked over my buddy and he said well and he looked back at me and he said well we're both like yeah the i can't think of again i'm horrible with names i've been calling her um sleepy hollows holtzman best new addition to the cast oh alex thank you alex yeah She's lovely. I just adore the character. It's all the new. Everything about the season for me just. I was so happy. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to yeah. hear that. I got a uh, uh, a question that someone yeah. wanted uh, emailed me and wanted me to ask. Excellent. Um, yeah. And <laughs> and and this and this I think is relevant to what you were just talking about, it, describing the 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 forced evolution of the show. Uh, uh, woman. Uh, wrote to say, uh, love that show, exclamation point. Ask him who the numbnuts was, whose idea it was to kill off Abby. <laughs> okay, so maybe okay, so maybe don't lead with that. Um, part, you know, I think part of what uh, occasions the these the the growth of the development of the, the changes. I mean, is is the fact that you guys are doing damage control. Some of it is not carefully concocted. Uh, in the writer's room and oh yes we've got a soviet five-year plan for how the show is going to go sometimes things happen behind the scenes and you've got to some, find a way to make some, that one some, sometimes <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on very rare occasions <laughs> possibly sometimes, sometimes things happen behind the scenes yeah uh um uh listen uh, it's interesting we, 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 Nicole Bahari is an incredible talent, and and I, I can only really speak about that from a personal standpoint because uh, you know as as you know as you just said, let's just say you know file that for under things that happen behind the scenes. Understood. Um, in, 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 in in lots and lots and lots of ways, but 
you know, I, I, I had a extremely, uh, uh, strong and, um, and, and, uh, uh, very, very positive working experience with Nicole Bahari. She was, um, she was lovely in the scenes. She was fantastic to work with. She was always lovely to me personally. We had great conversations and she's got a very sort of like biting wit and she, she loves to tease and, and in a very sweet way. And she was the steward of her character and the, and, and, and she and Tom made great television together. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So I, and I, and, and there's, and you can, there's no, you can see it. It's right there. Yep. But, but I will say this, a lot of people, there was one comment on Twitter when the whole thing went kablooey. And let's say two things. Number one is I'll say personally, uh, I Raven Metzner did not want to kill the character. So, and, and I can, there's many people who did not want to kill the character. I, I didn't want to kill the character from a story perspective. I did not want to kill the character at all because I enjoyed writing the character and I love the character moving forward, you know, but you can't, a lot of people mistake the relationships they see on screen and the character they've come to love with, with the person or the, you know, with, or with the relationships or with the situation. And like anything else, there's, you know, people, you know, as, as I said before, the show was a, is a, it was a beast that, you know, evolved in really interesting and strange ways, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, sometimes made things difficult, sometimes it didn't. And in order, and it's a very, very difficult show to make and it had a lot of personalities as part of it. And a lot of different people have been a part of it and, and, and were a part of it all the way through. And, you know, all I can say is in hindsight, she was, it was great to have her on the show. She was a fantastic character. I think in season four, we proved that um, the show can live on uh, without Abby. And it's, it's still a, a, it's a different show. It's, I'm not saying it's the same and I'm not saying it's better or worse. I'm just saying that Sleepy Hollow, there's many stories to tell in Sleepy Hollow. And, you know, and I think that the, the Sleepy Hollow is the brand and it never was, it never was about, it wasn't about the, a lot of people wanted to believe it was about the love story between, you know, no. Lieutenant Knowles no. and Gerard Crane. And, and a lot of people did. Well, Tumblr, by a lot of people, you mean Tumblr. Yeah, well, <laughs> Tumblr a, lot of, a lot of people were really, a lot of people that was the show. Wow. And, okay. You know, and, and for them, all I can say is for them, I, I understand that. And, I, and I'm sorry that they had to leave and. And I, I know I've watched shows and seen that I loved and seen them change. And I've been like, Hey, I'm out. Like, and everyone is, no one's forcing anyone to watch television. It's entertainment. Right. right? So, so like if they, if that was the moment that, that they, that they split, then that's cool. But, you know, I, as I said, like, so I guess what I'm saying is, uh, to, to, to answer that question of who was the numb nuts, um, I don't think, I don't, I don't think there was any one numb nut and I don't think it was any, I, I think it's a, it's like, uh, like you can't, like you know, if lightning strikes a building, you're gonna blame the storm front. You're gonna blame the lightning rod. You're gonna, like, what are you gonna blame? Like the contractor. It, it it, it, yeah, exactly. It, it it happened, and there were many, many forces from every. I would say this from every side that that um, you know, and and I think you know, uh, uh, we were glad to have her, and and she was awesome to work with, and I think that you know, my guess is Nicole is 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 happier with her doing what she's doing now. And I, and I wish her all the success. Yeah, you know, I, I liked her as a character. I, I thought the actress had a, a tremendous amount of uh, charm. 
And I was sorry to see her go. I didn't know she was the one to be killed. I, I guess this is how far I was from the show. Where Jeff said, oh, you, you got to uh, start watching it again. Just give it a chance. I heard that that uh, 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 my sister said one of the male's uh, sisters died. I assumed it was Jenny. Right. Um, and because I, I didn't really think, well, how could you how could you get rid of that? It makes no <laughs> yeah. sense. And uh, she. The one thing I liked about it was with was I just just to focus on this for one second. The, the people who were invested in the in the Crane Abbey relationship and, wow. and treated it as romantic. I liked the fact that it seemed like it wasn't going to go anywhere because he was devoted to his wife and you know early on, and it just seemed like okay, this, that they figured out a way. To, he's he's married, and yes, she's she's dead and in hell, but still they're trying to make it work. And uh, so you know she's she's not going to be she you know. Abby's no little homewrecker. She's not going to try to make a move on it. But uh, <laughs> I thought she got messed so up. I like the fact that I like the uh, yeah. So, uh, but I have to say that when I when I went back and watched uh, season four, I couldn't. I found to my surprise, as much as I liked Abby, that I was uh, thrilled that just from a story perspective, uh, they had. Uh, you guys have kept the Kung Fu fighting Indiana Je- Jones, Jenny. <laughs> oh, I love, we love, we love Jenny. She's the, I mean, come on. She's Lindy Green was the greatest. Yeah. Greatest. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is so cool now, especially uh, knock on wood, you know, I mean, if, if, if the show does come back, you literally in that final, in that ending opened up the entire world. Now that's what, you know, talking about sleepy hollow being the brand with what you set up with the president. You're right. It can go absolutely anywhere now, which I think is utterly fascinating. Yeah, that was the, that was the intention is to say, look, you know, we can, yeah, this, it's a, it's a, it, it opens up the, you could start the next season anywhere, anytime, yep. in, in any, in any situation. And we also have this great, we, we, we have a really a cast that I think is really working and, you know, and and uh, and and fun, fun. I think the thing that came back, which to me is was really important, is it felt fun again. And I think that a lot of the a lot of the things that bogged us down in in the past were like, uh, you know, people say batshit crazy. To me, that means it's it's a it's a fun show, which means that certain things you gotta you gotta let go. You gotta be like, you know, hey, just do it. You know, like when. You know, when my director says, I got a location for you to put that I think is perfect for hell. And I see pictures of this, you know, beautiful, weird mall with an elevator and neon lights. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, and I think that, you know, in season two, if we had tried that, I'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, like, you know, there was there was much more of a laser focus attention on on, you know, what the show was, what it needed to be all the different hats needed to wear. And like I said before, there was no one clear voice that was championing the show and saying, you know, in, in, in a meaningful way, there were plenty of people who had opinions, but there was no, there was no central person to, to take a hit for the show, you know, and, and get up and go, no, this is what it is. It is this, and it needs to be this. And I think, you know, in season four, just through, again, through luck and through the way things worked and the way things ended up, we ended up with, you know, with a, with a, you know, executives at, at both Fox and 20th, and sh- showrunners and writers who, and 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 a cast who were willing to to try to go back to that to that sort of different tone that that people loved in season one, and, and we got back there. So, and I think we're, it's funny. 
like to, to, to not watch a TV show because one person on it died to me is a little bit intense. Like, like I watch Fargo every year and plenty of people I like on it die. And every year it's a different show, but it's still Fargo and I love it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I enjoyed Rogue One and every single person in that died. Exactly. Yeah, look, you know, a lot of the, did, did people stop? You know, I, look, I, I understood, you know, you look, Starbucks died and she came back and but like if you just watch a show for Starbucks, then you know what I mean. I don't know. Some, like, to me, some it's, people do. Some people do have have a, a, a big investment in a particular character because it it speaks to them. I mean, TV it, TV is so personal. It comes into your house and people. Uh, I don't want to say fix on it because that that sounds psychologically unstable. But people <laughs> do develop relationships, one sided relationships, with with characters or elements of shows, and that's. That's part of the appeal. I mean, that's you. You, you have to uh, allow for that and just not not let the people who agitate for that uh, take well, it well, over. Like I, the shippers. I, I, I also I, well, not, well, I think it goes beyond the shippers with a character like Abby as well, because you know she's a she's a strong, powerful woman of color. True. You know, she's 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 and she's an authority figure. She's you don't get to see characters like as on television enough. I think that are. That are that are as just regardless of Nicole Bahari, just Abby Mills. You don't you just don't get to see that, and especially when she first appeared on the scene. It was it, it, it was refreshing and is refreshing, and 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 and, and, that, and, and it and there should be it, it should just be something that we all just go oh that's just the way the world is. It, these people and, and the, the way the show was cast, you know, and, and Alex and Bob were very clear about this. They didn't they cast the whole show colorblind. They said. You know, except for Crane, who had to be British because he's British. <laughs> they were like, let's. They're like, look, wh- whoever the best actor is for the role, then that's the actor, and and she was the best actor for the role, and she inhabited it, and 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 it was. I think in that way, I understand when looking at again taking if you just take the sh- take the show and the story and all that and the shipping and all that out of it and just go, wow, well, and now this character died. I could see people getting really but angry and upset about that. She and, went you know, out saving also what she, she went out also saving what she, the world. I mean, come yeah, on. No, she, she had she had a hero's death. Yeah. I mean, I, you can't complain about that. But I mean, also rep, you know, remember what she represented. She represented, um, you know, a powerful, uh, author, uh, a woman with authority figure who's very very short. In a way that we've not seen since Gillian Anderson in uh, the X Files, <laughs> she represented the powerful, short, law enforcement uh, woman, and 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 did it did it ably. But you know what? That, that you make that's a very important point, and I think it needs to be made, especially on a podcast where a lot of people are used to. Uh, using the power of new media to to agitate for where you know for a course correction in in their favorite shows or movie franchises or whatever is that if you if it all that took to run a TV show and to make it successful were a bunch of opinions then you wouldn't need you'd barely need a writer staff you wouldn't need show writers all you'd need to do would be uh, all you need really would be a subscription to a subreddit yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, look, it, it's not. It's look. It's not just look. We have. We we have one of the things that Sleepy Hollow has always had, and and we and and, and it's it, incredibly powerful. Is uh in 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 very different groups on different parts of the internet is a very very strong and passionate uh, fan following. Yep, yep. You know, and 
we've got it. We've got, you know, on, on Twitter, we have the sleepy sisters. And as you said, on Tumblr, there's, you know, and, and all, uh, on Reddit, it, it, it's, it's a, it was one of the first, I think one of the first shows to really have that fan base explode in the way that it did. And, you know, when I came onto the show, it was one of the things that, you know, we were told, which was that, uh, Hey, guess what? This is another part of your job is, you know, you're going to live tweet on this show and it's going to matter because people are listening. And I got, I, I actually got, uh, you know, I got into it in my, in my first episode in season two where, you know, I, I made the mistake of, you know, getting, very passionately upset about some of the things people were saying on Twitter. And uh, Albert Kim actually had to, had to talk me down and say, you know, you got to step away from this. Like, and he said exactly what you just said, which is, look, it's everyone is entitled to an opinion and everyone is entitled to be passionate and we are passionate and we have opinions. But the difference is that we also are here right now working on the show. We have to, we have to do our jobs. And, and that means that as much as we're passionate and as much as we are trying to make things that we believe should happen happen. We also are employees at a at a corporation, and and that corporation has its own designs on on this show, and we're employees, so we have to do our best to not only to write the best show we can, but also to keep our jobs and to <laughs> you know, and and also none of us none none of us say neither Albert nor I. Um, we are, we were never on, we, we, it doesn't say, say created by Albert Kim or Raven Metzger. And we're, we are not, those are not, whatever we did on this show wasn't in the end, it, we are part of it, but it's not, there's no, it wasn't like we're going to go down with the ship. Like, what is that? You know, it's not us. So, you know, so I think that you're, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, there's there, you gotta be careful because, you know, it's very gratifying and lovely when you get to, when you go to a Comic-Con and get up on stage and, you know, someone in the audience uh, says their name and you recognize them from their tweets. And you're like, oh, wow, this this fan, they love this show and they and they invested in it and they're a part of it. And you but you but you can't you can't write or produce for them and you can't take a you can't take the temperature of the fan base and try to write towards it. You can't you just can't. It's, it's you have to you have to you know, you have to you do what you have yeah, to do. Yeah. And then maybe you lose people and maybe you don't. I mean, I think you're look, you're a great example. We we lost you and you came back. And that, that that makes me very happy to hear. And you brought me back without having to uh, invent some monstrous rectal thermometer. <laughs> God, out, Scott. Figure out what my problem is. Oh, boy. So. And on that note, uh, <laughs> Raven, we have gone so far over the time you you have given us. So I am yeah, going sorry about to. That. No, no, Thank no, you. no, no. Oh, I've been. Pleasure. I, pleasure chatting. I warned you this. I warned you this was probably going to happen. So. We are going to go down to the final two. Scott, your last question for Mr. Metzner. Oh, I don't even know if it's a question or if it's just a uh, a complaint. Oh, God, Scott. <laughs> or an observation. Um, here's it, it, it's an observation. Um, I really didn't like the final twist in the finale yeah. um, because it seemed out of character for Crane. Um, it, it seems like when you're dealing with with a big bad, uh, there's always uh, two competing impulses, which is one, refuse to sink to your enemy's level if you're right. a certain type of character, if you're a certain type of character, or uh, fight fire with fire if you're another type right. of hero. And to me, Crane uh, is is a is a 
righteous man who will defend his principles to the death. So the fact that he sunk to his enemy's level and made a bargain with the devil kind of rang false to me. It seemed like it was just set up for things to come. And I just didn't believe it. I just didn't. It just didn't seem it seemed like something Crane would never do or allow anyone around him to do. And now because now suddenly, you know, he's gone from this this model of rectitude who who represents the 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 finest principles that animate the American experiment to uh, to, you know, ghostwriter. I was Johnny Blaze. Now, as well, a, a real fa- uh, hang on, I want to be the fan uh, guy first before we toss that to you. Fan guy um, answer to that, at least in my opinion, as I was watching it, I took that honestly as he was just that desperate. The no-win situation. This is what I've got to do to get out of it. That was that was how I took it. Well, I think Crane, Crane and Abby, uh, while he is a pillar and all of that, uh, Crane himself and Crane and Abby, and as part of the show, the character has always done what is necessary in the moment and 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 they've then they've had to unwind things afterwards you know what i mean because yeah. in the moment in the, and and so i think what you're saying about you know is that something crane would do in in it, if there was a 2 hour version of that pilot in which we could have <laughs> seriously i'm not kidding okay. in which we could have in which we could have had that devil storyline uh, go on for much longer and could have dealt with Malcolm Dreyfus, the Four Horsemen, the Devil, the Deal with the Devil, and you know what I mean. In a two-part mm-hmm. finale, he may very well. We would have seen uh, a much longer scene between them. We would have seen him being tor- him and and and, and uh, Lara being tortured by the Devil oh. and had to get out and or and had to escape. We would have seen them narrowly. We, there's there's tons of different ways he could have played it. And we've talked about you know is there a, a psychological scene between the two of them as they go back and forth over the, the, the points of the deal. Like there were so many things that if we had all the time in the world, we would have done what it came down to was, and you think you're right is, is that something crane would do? And, and also I think you, and you pointed out like, what does it give us moving forward? Because I really wanted to not just end this, this, if, if it is the last episode, then fine. But if it is the last episode of the, if, there, if we're going to have another season and we're, and there are more seasons then let's not just end it so neat and clean. Let's give Crane a, a real problem that'll make us want more. How does he get out of this? You know, and I think that, so part of it is, you, you pointed it out and is true, part of it is about uh, giving story, a piece of story for what's to come. And the question mm-hmm. is, you know, look, if you don't believe Crane would do that, I, we talked, believe me, we talked endlessly about whether that's something Crane would do. And what we finally came down to was um, in a moment, uh, Crane leaps sometimes before he looks, and he's willing to do that for the people he loves, knowing that he'll figure it out later. You know what I mean? He'll look at a candle yeah. and go to the catacombs. He'll, he'll, and and also remember, he didn't, he didn't, he's not Johnny Blaze. He, he's made a deal. He's made a deal with the devil in which, if he dies, the devil gets his soul. So he has the rest of his life, or until someone kills him. He's, he's to figure out a way to get out of that deal. So we got to believe that Crane can figure it out. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. the attitude we had is if anyone can get it, can figure out a way to get out of the deal with the devil, they can buy Crane and, hey, give us some more seasons and we'll show you how he does it. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, he is, he is, yes, he, he, he is a, 
sometimes look for your lead character. And he is very pragmatic, and he is he is uh, ruthlessly mission oriented. That's right. At times, so I I can see that. And also now now that he's seen that uh, hell is is just the the Edmonton Mall. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. that bad. I mean, they've got a. Yeah, worse comes to worse. They probably have. They probably have a nice food court. So <laughs> got to get that Sparrows. There's, there's yeah. a Cinnabons, and you know they think about putting in a Camp Snoopy. So sure, exactly. Ah, you know, no. Oh, hell, hell, Hell's Hell's own Cinnabon. Yeah, that, there you go. That's an episode. Uh, that's a season five. That's a season five monster of the week. <laughs> yeah, because because the Cinnabon doesn't smell like cinnamon. It smells like cumin. Oh, oh, no. And finally, sir, I was going to ask what I would consider a real question, but after this interview, I'm going back to one of my classic final questions from the Mike and Ike days. Raven Metzner, would you trade a baby for a penguin? It's not your baby, and it's a really cute penguin. Uh, having just had a baby, I'm not trading her for anybody. I said not your anything. baby, not your baby, someone oh. else's baby, and it's a very cute penguin. No, I never, never, I don't, I don't really like penguins. I think they're kind of suspicious. <laughs> and on that note, Raven, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie challenge. challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna unknown watch? Movie. Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna unknown watch? Movie. Unknown movie challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna unknown watch? Unknown movie challenge. That's right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. Ready for battle. And welcome back to the unknown movie challenge. This week we have a new film, and as such, we have the new movie crew with us. Uh couple of things before we begin one um with these new movies i tend to forget to say this and maybe everybody just takes it for granted by this point but um because i sort of have gotten used to the better living through bad movies method where we just sort of handhold people through the plot of a crappy film um i i forget that some people don't want to hear spoilers necessarily at the at the uh, granular level we get down to so i'll just warn everybody that we will be talking about uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two and we will be spoiling the crap out of it uh, <laughs> based on past performance uh two let's see four people out of our five person panel enjoyed the movie quite a lot one person did not so that person <laughs> That person, sign in, please. <laughs> you are such an asshole. Grumpy. I think I signed Mick. in. Grumpy uh, Mick Grumpnuts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before 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 the hate begins to fly, I just do want to say I I wa I wanted to like this. I walked in wanting to enjoy it. I walked in in a good mood. I did not walk in, you know, with 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 hate in my heart. I walked in with joy in my heart because except for that first the the pre-dance sequence, I love the first Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? Did you really I I thought you were you liked it okay. I didn't think you loved it. 
So, okay, no, the more I watch, like I said, I still hate the beginning, and I, I still hate the us all hold hands kind of at the ending thing. Mm-hmm. But everything except, like, the first five minutes and the last five minutes, I really, really, really enjoy. Okay. All right. Um, the second time I watched it, I actually liked it even more than I did the first time, except for the first and the last five minutes. Which have, which have just only gotten worse, I assume. Okay. <laughs> but I did. I went into this film wanting to love, as long as everybody knows that. You walked in with, with, with love and hope in your heart and walked out with hate and bile. Good intentions. All right. What was that? Good intentions. Yes, exactly. I just, I just want to make sure I have gotten some. That's when I've had to point this out to people because people said to me, "You went in not in a lot, not wanting to like this." I went, "No." Why would anybody but, see? Here's something I don't understand. You're this, just this, a Marvel hater. Oh, yes, yeah. I've gotten that. I've gotten that. <laughs> I have. Just a Marvel hater. Oh my god. Yep, yep, yep. I've DC gotten that. fanboy. I've gotten one person who said to me, and I'm not even on fucking Metacritic, that I wanted to lower its score. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, once again, fun debate has disappeared, which is why I said, let's play a game. I All say right. we get to the bottom of this. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. And and since... since um... Who hurt you when you were a child? <laughs> it was Gene Shalit. That's not a yes or no answer. <laughs> it was Gene Shalit. Show us on the doll. Yeah, he hurt the, us all. The, uh, show us on the doll where the movie touched you. Okay. Well, since since um, the the current political situation makes it <laughs> makes it less fun to play global thermonuclear war, I'm going to suggest <laughs> we're we're going to play another game. We're going to play a version of What's My Line. So our panel will be asking Mr. McRubnuts uh, <laughs> yes or no questions as we attempt to zero in on why he has developed this um, uh, grossly wrong opinion about the film. So. <laughs> And, and hey, if you guys and as has be, has has been proven in the past, if you say something that changes my mind, I will freely admit it and sing your praises on Mount Horde. You guys know that. That's absolutely true. And and if you somehow manage to uh, taint our enjoyment, uh, poison and and uh, which kill, I'm not trying kill, to kill do. what joy we took out of it, we will also we'll hate you forever. We'll, but we'll acknowledge we'll I acknowledge don't. you made a good point. Okay. So I, I I'll begin. Uh, oh. Was your hatred plot related? Yes. Okay. Neck. Uh, all right. I, I'm not gonna hoard it. You can keep going. You got that. If we're gonna play old school panel okay, rules, right. then all right. Was it? related to any of the new characters yes <coughs> was it related to the kurt russell character yes <laughs> we're not gonna get to talk at all obviously oh no 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 you're next you're next that sounds like a threat see this whole thing has already taken a dark turn <laughs> no it has not all no right. it is not was it the fact that he was a celestial no. Oh, okay. All right. Ah, next person. All right, uh, Mary. Did you hate his Farrah Fawcett hair? Who could have? <laughs> it's not possible. I no, I hair. giggled at his Farrah Fawcett hair. Good question. <laughs> All right, uh, Blanche. Uh, was it because 
the Guardians of the Galaxy weren't guarding the galaxy except for what seemed to be a minor afterthought in, in the Celestial... Anyway, Kurt Russell's storyline. Actually, where where uh, my particular annoyance is concerned, no. Hmm. Okay. Uh, John? Was it because it was overly realistic? <laughs> You could have just said pass, John. No. <laughs> you know what? There, there was that sort of grim Italian neorealism in the film that I thought was. Yeah, this kind was of so Fellini. It this, was I, very. I, 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 there, there's like two films. It's like in my head, like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and uh, The Seek is the Bicycle Thief. Two very similar <laughs> films. Yeah, Wait. I, I, okay, okay. Now that you mention it, I see it, Scott. They're overlapping way too much in the Venn diagram. Okay. So, oh, yeah, yeah. okay, I'm going to flip over all the cards on the first point since we went through the entire panel. And um, my first bone of contention was I knew that it, it bugged me that I knew within the first five minutes that he was, um, that Kurt Russell was spoiler time, Star Lord's father, and that he was going to be a creep. Well, everybody knows that. Yeah, I mean, that's, everybody knows that. That's you, canon. I was. Yeah. See, I did. Okay, I don't know that. Okay, no, but, but see, I didn't know that as canon, but I got that, and I figured, okay, fine. That I don't think it was a big deal. It just it irritated. Seventies, I mean, all the men were ditches. I mean, you. But yeah, I, this is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, didn't think that. You, is you, Ego his original father in the canon? I didn't think he was. I thought I thought James Gunn changed who his father originally he did, was. He did. He did. No, no, it's canon. Well, maybe now. But Ego it is canon. He wasn't originally. Oh, e- Ego is in the canon, but I don't think Ego is his father originally. Uh, I was going to say, I could have sworn that they changed who his, who his, who his father well, originally they, they was. They changed who Star-Lord is. I mean, there, there's a huge, well, yeah. huge adaptation. But I mean, I, I, I wonder, but, I, but, but going yeah. in, going in, I mean, th- that his, his parent, his parenthood, his, his, his paternity uh, was, was, thank you, was, was pretty much spoiled in the trailers. I mean, you knew going in that he was dead, and then the first few minutes where you see that, you know, the the uh, the uh, computer-smoothed visage of uh, Kurt Russell driving around in an awesome <laughs> Trans Am, by the way. Um, you knew it. So, and when he planted that weird alien plant and said, oh, I didn't think it would take in this soil, but yeah, I, right, I, I mean, didn't everyone get a feeling like, Oh, that's going to come up soon, and it's not going to be a good thing. Wasn't it? <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I thought it was very. Met- Did anybody else think it was very metaphorical? Uh, in what way? <laughs> not very. No, not very. In what way? Well, the, his his seed took to the fertile ground. That oh, yeah, I saw oh, that, but I didn't think it was okay. very metaphorical. I just thought, oh, double. It was like it was like medium, okay. me- medium metaphorical. <laughs> With the side of fries. Alright, alright. Oh, and I do it, have to also it, say... Go ahead, John. Real fast, in my... in my, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. I was going to say, if it, if it, if it had ter- turned out to be something good, it wouldn't have been a movie. <laughs> There'd be no storyline. <laughs> you make, a, you make no. a good point. And, and, and they wouldn't have guarded the galaxy from anything. Right. 
But in my defense on that point, I guess I I, I don't know if I missed it, but I, I did not know that uh, that I missed that shot in the trailer. I didn't know. So oh, okay. the, the father reveal was actually, oh, okay. I did not know that going into the movie, but I did know within five seconds that he was a bad guy. That, and that the whole dad, bad guy thing just kind of it irritated me. As a matter okay. of fact, as an addendum to this, this is an addition to this first to my first point. Um, I leaned into my buddy at about the twenty minute mark that I saw this with, and I said, "Here's what's going to happen for the rest of the movie." And I named five things that happened over the rest of the movie. How many times have we been like reviewing films where we talked about people's daddy issues? Issues, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially no with superhero. I am of daddy issues. <laughs> Especially with superhero movies. I, I I believe I believe this should have been released on Father's Day. Uh, that's part of the discussion. Yeah, that yeah, would have been good. And how how did if of all the seventies songs that were in this, how was um that Harry Chapin song? You know, cats. Oh, in the cradle. cats in the cradle. Yeah. Cradle how did, the yeah. How did they? Well, miss they that? did another one. Did they? They did. Yeah, yeah they did another. Uh, father son song. I can't remember what it was. I just I was a it little was, bugged. Cat uh, Stevens. Cat Stevens. Yes. Oh right. right yeah, right. it was Cat Stevens. Oh, I was just a little yeah, annoyed at how milk toast this particular song selection was. Yeah, it was disappointing. It was did not come up to the standard of uh, volume one, and the and they they misled you by having Fox on the Run in in the trailers, but not in the movie. For real. That, that I thought, okay, that's going to be that. That's going to be this movie's "Come and Get Your Love," and it was not. <laughs> okay, can so can we hear Grumpy McGrumpnuts next thing? Yes. So, uh, who wants? Uh, 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 John, go ahead and uh, ask the next question. Oh, um, that that we already have, do. We have one already. Oh uh, yeah, you things. got the one. It was the whole father. The predictability right, okay. of the plot annoyed me. It got to me on this one. So the, yes, father the, seven right. versus. I did. Uh, did any of it have to do with Baby Groot? Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> was it that he was too cute? You don't was have it? to go any farther. You honestly don't have to go any farther. I'm giving you that I, one. Right there. I think you got it. <laughs> you got it. John. You got that one. Baby Groot. Um, in the first movie, I thought he was cute. In this movie, I wanted to set him on fire. <laughs> did you kind of feel like it's when in sequels they have a kid? They just like shove a kid. It's like Oliver and Brady Bunch. It's Oliver and Brady Bunch meets Gizmo, designed for nothing but selling toys, and that got uh-huh. to me. That got, that annoyed. That really, I, really. I want to buy the baby vomit Groot. <laughs> That's perfectly. I'm not saying that he's real not regurgitation <laughs> action. <laughs> <laughs> Just squeeze him and out. <laughs> Out it comes, and it goes back in. What was the name of that garbage? So you do it again and again. What? The gar- there was what? a garbage pail kid that was that did a lot of vomiting. Oh, I hated sure. garbage pail. Kids. Yeah, but I mean, okay, but seriously, didn't 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 Baby Groot just come across as a little bit too much to you guys? No, he was so precious. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> like, I how how everybody took care like of him. Like he was, he was too cute to kill. Yeah. All right, all right. It's the it's the gizmo effect. All right. It was, no, you're absolutely Jeff. You are absolutely right. 
it's the giz- it's it's that it's it's for selling baby groots it's for all of it but it was just like a baby it was like a puppy so yeah. This is and this is where Grumpy Mick Grumpy not speak. <laughs> I admit it. I admit it. I cannot deny your point. It's just that he irritated the fuck out of me, guys. Okay. Well, I, I think just, you, Bruce, you, get off my lawn. Yes. Were you did were you irritated from the very beginning of that sequence, the fight sequence where they decided to show that through following baby Groot did that bother you right then or, or? It was by the end of, by the end of it is when my irritation started okay by the end of that sequence but by the end of the movie I was just like give us teenage Groot oh good there we are okay well, and you got teenage Groot so yeah, yeah but um I was just he just it was the sheer and this is the cynic in me. Like I said, it, that baby group felt like nothing, as I said, except an excuse to sell toys, and it bothered me. Okay. Yeah, I can see right. that. There's nothing I can say about that. One. I'm sorry, guys. That's just that's how it hit me. Do not be sorry. You know, <laughs> you know, he did. Yeah, he he didn't come off like short round to me, but <laughs> I I can see where the short round effect. Well, might short have been, round but... wasn't designed to sell toys. No. Or the kid in I, the Mummy Returns. Uh, uh, God, I hated him. Pretty much any kid, <laughs> any kid that worms its way into an action franchise. But come on, it's a little you baby Groot. I, now I will pay baby Groot. I will pay baby Groot one major compliment. He was not Jar Jar Binks. Oh yeah. Okay. I, yeah. you know, I, as far as CG characters go, he was not Jar Jar Binks. I do not have, I do not have that level of hatred of him as a character. I have a level of hatred of him just as a marketing device. See, when you when okay. you say when you say that when when your metric is Jar Jar Binks for CGI characters, I can't tell if you're setting the bar too high or too low. <laughs> I'll leave that. It's like saying, "Oh, he wasn't Hitler." Yeah. <laughs> you got to give him that, don't you? Come on. Okay. I stand by that. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay, so that's okay. that's there, there, so there's, there's, there's the poster quote. Well, baby Groot wasn't Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one and you got one. So this is the tiebreaker. <laughs> uh, uh, Blanche. <clears throat> oh my. Um did it have anything to do with the daddy issues? No. Hmm. Interesting. Because I have to say, uh, as long as we're talking about that, um, it wasn't, it wasn't simply the daddy issues about this. I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind. I, I, I don't mind the way that the, the film was structured, but it was structured very much like a sequel. I mean, in the first movie, you have a disparate group of people who hate each other on contact, but are brought together by circumstance, and then they form a team out of necessity to fight some larger threat they can't cope with individually, and ultimately they forge familial bonds out of that experience. Uh, but so you've already you start the second film, the stuff that happens in the in a film has been taken care of. They're already a family. They're already they already we take the family status for granted. So now the filmmakers have to find some way to strain that relationship, but in a way that doesn't break it, ultimately makes it stronger um, and has to break up the team into the most 
likely the, the, find a way to break the team up into these small smaller groups made up of people who find each other the most irritating. So I, I do think that the, the the solution here was to just say, okay, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy are a family. That's pretty much that's pretty much their ethos. So let's make everybody have every conceivable type of family issue. I mean, Quill has daddy issues. Um, uh, Yondu has parental issues. Uh, Rocket has identity issues because he's doesn't really have any parentage. Um, both, uh, Gamora both Gamora and Nebula. Yeah. yeah, they they both have yeah, daddy yeah. issues with Thanos, and they have Nebula. sibling rivalry. Which mm-hmm. you know, granted, it's not the typical, you know, mom likes you best, or or you know, who gets to sit by the window on family road trips. It's it was more mutilation related. So that was a twist. But yeah, there so was the, a little daddy liked you better. There was a, <laughs> oh, yes, dad, daddy mutilated you more. So yes. right, or, no, exactly. mutilated you less. <laughs> Depends who's talking. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, every single person, and uh, uh, the Ravagers had family issues. Well, who's the new daddy? And, and <laughs> so it's like Gunn said. All right, people are. That's what we've got. So I'm going to really lean into it so nobody escapes it. And I thought about getting irritated by it partway through the movie. But I thought, but I'm really having too much fun. So that's fine. I don't care. Um, Did you find... uh, Let me ask you two questions. One, uh, are you known for your work in the theater? (laughs) (laughs) Around here, yes. Okay. Uh, And uh, did you find it funny? Yes. Okay. So you were able to laugh through the the legitimate irritations that you yes. had with the plot. Okay. All right. I still like Rocket. I still Rocket. like Rocket, and I st- and I still like. Uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, uh, so I'm not going to say the character's name. Michael Booker. Everything he does, I just I adore. Oh, Michael uh, Rooker was great. Michael Rooker. Sorry. Yes, got to kind of say his name right. Henry. That's how I'll just say Henry. <laughs> Henry, portrait Henry, of a blue serial of killer. Serial killer. Yes, one of my... Sorry, I love that movie. But yes, and I liked his character. I still like those two characters. And I mean, I did giggle throughout the film. Good. Uh, They did did do something that... um, Here's what I would have guessed. All right, let me just ask you. Were you irritated that nobody important died? No. Okay. All right, because it, it Abs- believe it or not, absolutely not. Okay, because I felt like they did a good job of taking a character who who had a fairly, if not a pivotal, a fairly important role in the first movie, bringing him forward, giving him some emotional heft, and then killing him at the end. I think I, I've been reading online that a lot of people were very touched by that final scene where Yondu and Quill work out their daddy son yeah. issues. I um, cried. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think the line that most people were quoting that got to them was, you know, well, he may he may be your father, he may be your father, but he's not your daddy. <laughs> and, and who's your daddy? Right. Who's your daddy? Yeah. Who's and, your daddy? And, and Rooker sells it. I mean, he's just I I, I why yes, why Rooker sells it. Why I believe Rooker sells everything. There is nothing that Rooker can't sell. Why, yeah, In shit movies, he is wonderful. Including, including uh, uh, an alien. Archer 
redneck Smurf. <laughs> or whatever Yondu is. Oh, I did. That's something else I like. The fact that they, they, again, speaking of leaning in, after having that sort of bespoke, uh, uh, low profile Finn in the first film, they gave him that big ass, sun, mm. you know, sunfish Cadillac Finn that he's got in the comic Finn. book. So that was cute. Well, so just a prototype. <laughs> but well, because I am um, strapped for time, I am going to flip all the cards over on the final one. And, I didn't uh, even get a chance to ask. Oh, my God. You're right. You know what? My sincere apologies. You go ahead. Okay. Was okay. one of your problems a new character? Not uh, not Kurt Russell. No, understood. Understood. Um... No, but you get an extra question because you're Mrs. C. Hmm. <laughs> we shared a boner. You get an extra question. We shared many boners. <laughs> um, was your issue with Drax? No. Oh, okay. Well, then I'm done. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you two. One, a minor irritant. My biggest problem with it overall, the minor irritant. Okay, five fucking credit sequences. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come, that was a little you know, much. When are they going to go full Hal Needham and just do a blooper reel over the entire thing? We talked mm-hmm. about that, actually. That was one of our solutions. It, it's a, it had it. Why, why didn't it have a you know? It had everything but a Jackie Chan style blooper reel at the end. So. Exactly. I mean, I w- it's that that just irritated me. And my biggest thing with it, and Scott, you kind of touched upon it, was for me, it just felt like such a sequel. Not only did everything about it feel by the numbers, but I, especially after the first one. I didn't think the characters felt real as they did in the first one. Everything in this film felt fake. I felt like I was watching The Phantom Menace. Uh, Do you feel like mm. they didn't grow at all? I, it's, I, feel like they re, I feel like they took steps backward, honestly. So it didn't bother you that the bad, that the bad guys were like the worst clique in high school? <laughs> oh, it's every, it, it was just... every. It felt like the this film just felt oh, like oh you mean team you mean team Goldfinger team Goldfinger yes, team Goldfinger oh, don't even get me started on them because every time they popped up all I could think of were those annoying wimpy aliens from Buck Rogers and I know Scott you know what I'm talking about yes <laughs> I love that they just were playing video games to kill people and that was awesome <laughs> okay well, yeah there was no they're a whole social commentary right the rich get to oh, play absolutely. war from afar and never have to put themselves in danger that was that- a whole. Yeah. But all I could think of was those annoying characters from Buck Rogers, and it just ruined any and all. Kind of like wait, how, yes, from the from the Gil, uh, the Gil Gerard series. Yes, Gil Gerard series. Yep. There was one episode in particular with two people who, with two aliens who looked just like them, except the makeup was almost crappier, and they were annoying as hell. And as soon as I saw those gold people in the oh god, um, it was a little adult. guy who was yeah. the adult and the big guy who was the child. Yes. Know what you're and they looked pure gold. They looked just like those people, and they're and it just irritated me. I couldn't help it. <laughs> but but uh, that's I very mean, likely just, the inspiration. It's not like James Gunn isn't feeding off the the same exactly same pop culture trough. Exactly. We are. 
but I mean, it just it, everything about this. It just it felt like a sequel. Let's be bigger. Let's let's have uh, you know Drax is going to be Drax here. He didn't bother me, but I mean, all of the characters were just more of what they were in the first film. They didn't change. They were just more of what they were, and the effects looked fake to me. I swear that was my biggest problem with it. This is the, I, unlike the last one. This one I felt like I was staring at blue screens. Well, you know, when you say Phantom Menace, it, it actually I, I wonder if if a certain percentage of irritation might be attributed to the fact that they are in they spent a great deal of time in a world that the characters themselves know is fake that they are told is fake essentially it's like oh i built this with my mind um and so it did have it did have a deliberately unreal feeling to it which kind of made the stakes seem a bit lower even though they did raise it in the first one they're trying to save uh, Xandar, they're trying to save that one planet from uh, extinction, oh. and in this, they're is, basically trying to save every populated planet. In yeah, the, the yeah, the, but that was is, the weird thing. I mean, that they are trying to save like every all of creation or whatever that every planet that has that he planted seeds in. Mm-hmm. But and so the stakes are high, but it just the, what I didn't like is that it was just kind of shoehorned in, and there yes. it is, right there. Now, now here's the there, here's where they get to earn their name. Guardians of the Galaxy. We're just going to throw that in, and then once they defeat that, then poof, mission accomplished. Because as you said, <laughs> is, you know? it as, as is Bla- it possible? As Blanche said, if if they don't, if they don't have a galaxy to guard, then basically they're just celestial mall cops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put this out here. Yes, go ahead. Is it possible that um, Ego was really supposed to be George Lucas? <laughs> you mean a, a, a monstrous, all-consuming ego that destroys everything it touches? Hmm. He created this amazing now, world, and now that things, and then plant. right, create creates May a CGI I throw world. Out? Hmm. I love That's it, I, Harry. I love I, it. I, I, that is funny. I and I will throw out the one thing about the movie that I absolutely did adore. There was one Teenage. thing in this movie that I absolutely adored. Stanley is a watcher. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. It, I just think I'm so glad they they fought. I, that's been a theory for a while. I'm so glad they did it. That just makes me happy. In every Marvel movie. That just makes me happy that they went there. I'm just that just that was cool. That was the best part of the film. And, to the, me, and, the, and, the, and the two old men jokes. The two old man jokes. It's like, wait, you guys are my ride. And I just want to tell you one more story. Like, yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like every, everyone has been trapped next to an old guy in a barber shop. It was just like missing a, an onion belt. Onion on the belt, yes. Yeah. Belt, yeah. Uh, we need to get a campaign thinking... going. Go ahead. Uh, no, you, you were just thinking? No, it's kind of tangential. I was just thinking if this was like a Judd Apatow-directed film, how there would have been uh, a, the, the takes that they don't show, right? And they show them at mm. the end. Right. That um, Chris Pratt goes into Teenage Groot and picks up, you know, oh, why don't you pick up your stuff, you know, your clothes? He picks something up. Oh my God! What is that sap? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Sorry. Wear a sock. <laughs> well, that yeah, it would be a sock or something. But you know, like, oh my God, what what is that sap? But it's teenage crew, so we know what it is. Wrap it with a leaf, boy. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> you know, actually, that's you 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 mentioned something. Somebody just mentioned uh, the 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 problem with caring about. The, the the stakes, which are larger. I mean, there's something to be said for slightly smaller, more manageable stakes, and I think it's the same thing where 
the, uh, somebody says, uh, what was it? Stalin said that you know, a uh, uh, hundred deaths are a tragedy, a million deaths are a statistic. It's it's harder to process. And mm-hmm. in the first movie, they spent a good deal of time on that planet Xandar, and you know, we met Glenn Close, we met John C. Riley, a few of the other characters, and so you knew who was going to die. But in this film, the only the only thing you cared about was. You said, "Oh, it's it's there's Earth, so you know I don't particularly care if that Stuckies goes. I don't patronize it, but I mean it's <laughs> it's the planet I live in, so I guess I care." And then the guy who played his um, uh, Peter Quill's uncle in the first film gets a brief cameo oh. running from from the the blob. Oh uh, yeah, and it's like, oh no, I don't want his uncle to die if I remember that he was the guy from the first film, which I did, I kind of only barely do. So it's like. Having so many threats all at once makes them all, it diminishes them all. It doesn't make them a bigger threat. Guys, thank you. You have actually given me a little to think about in my analysis of the movie. I'm not saying I've changed any of my points, but you've given me pause for thought. So well done, guys. You've actually calmed me down from the hatred that I've been getting from the stupid people. I I, I genuinely, I genuinely appreciate that as well. So music and lewd and go. <laughs> are you, what, are you gonna say like Jeff had to leave, or I'll do a little intro and I'll just say uh, Jeff leaves abruptly for a funeral, probably not his own, but we won't know until two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like, I like it. Okay. And since he had nothing good to say about them, and since he had nothing good to say, good riddance. So, <laughs> Let's we are gonna talk stuff. about them. All right, we'll talk about yeah. Now that he's gone, now that he's gone, we can talk about it. <laughs> Let's freeze his bra. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say this. Unless we were at the point of uh, thing that you liked and thing that you that annoyed you, uh, I was kind of saving it for that. Okay. Um, Let's end with but, thing that you like. Let's be positive. Sure. Well, then I'll say the thing that I didn't like, or that I that kind of that annoyed me, was that you know, uh, and it's part of the thing that I do like because I like the fact that it, they, it was a lot of fun. And they and they understood that it was a lot of fun, but when they go there with a lot of fun and they have all this technical stuff, then they start to produce things that are really improbable, like repairing the ship with a spray that just recreates everything that was there before. Yeah, you know, I go really? You had to do that? I yeah, mean, alien tech, lazy John. Alien yeah. tech. Alien tech that just knows <laughs> what goes where, you know, and uh, <laughs> sprays it back in, in the right spot. It's an aerosol. Uh, yeah, it's what do you call it? It's a it's a uh, virtual printer. What is that? A three D yeah, printer? 3D pr- yeah, basically. But a hat, a handheld three D printer exactly. in a in a Hudson sprayer. I mean that right. ki- that kind of bugged me. I have to admit uh, because you see the the ship and the ship is demolished as the ship got right. demolished in the first film. It's becoming like the Enterprise. Every time, I, every other movie, <laughs> they wreck it. Um, so his his ship, the Milano, gets it gets a, a wing uh, snapped off and and the fuselage horribly mangled. And the, okay, well, this is beyond repair. And yeah, instead, then he's 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 got the you know, he's got a Wagner power painter, and the walls are reappearing. I'm going, well, I don't know if I'm really so. If this tech exists, why does anybody have to know how to fix anything? It raises the stakes right. on tagging. That's true. It does. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. Yeah, and the thing that I'm I want to deface something or fix it. 
Create. Yeah, now like, do both. I like, I like the concept of we, we know we're going to see a lot of fight scenes and we're going to a lot of battle scenes, et cetera, et cetera. So let's open with something that has a battle scene going on in the background while we just follow the little guy that we like to watch. You know? Yeah. And I just that concept I liked. Uh, it was it was an interesting way of, of portraying something, and it just showed cleverness is what I what I like the, the cleverness that I've I've come to associate with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the way they they write and the way they uh, present things, where it's just clever. That's me. It was, it was interesting because the the way the movie was sold, the trailers all highlighted that squid-like monster that uh, drops on that elevator platform. I thought that was going to be a bigger deal. You think it's going to be a huge climactic moment? No, it's just this. It's just background. People are just opening sp- credits. It seemed very much to me like end credits with Groot. Right. Mm. Dancing around, right? Kind of like with Ghostbusters, and that's and that's perfect because why not do it during the open credits, opening credits, right? If we can do it at the end, we can do it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah they start off with a bang. Yeah, and of course they they ended the last movie with Baby Groot dancing. So why not open the new movie? With mm-hmm. Baby? I'm sorry, this is what everybody is thinking. I'm sure. So I'm just gonna say it for all of us. Teenage Groot. No, awesome. I don't like. I don't like teenagers. I don't like, no. I like teenage I te- Groot. I hate teenagers. No. I don't want to see a no. whole movie with teenage Groot. It's going to be painful. No, Me either. I really a whole don't. Movie with teenage Groot. I don't Are you sure that, we saw a whole movie with baby Groot? That's the one place it was too accurate. No. <laughs> too hormonal. No, uh, too hormonal. Uh, newborns, newborns are gross. Newborns, no. They sleep all the time. They're, they're fine. Newborns just sleep and eat. And that's all. Sleep, eat, poop. That's all they do. They're gross. This that's part- a gross thing. That's like that is kind of gross. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> that's like oh, a cat is- without any of the fun parts. <laughs> Wait, what are you doing with cats? Well, I mean, you can pet them or you can play with them or something. Mary, just the new, I think you should. I'm going to start a nanny cam. We need to take a plush to your cats and ask them where Daddy has been touching them. Did Daddy have fun? No, I think this was this was still a very. It was a sweet Groot. You might have been kindergarten Groot, it's actually. It's maple Groot. <laughs> so if if this no, one if this one got how he was transferred to everybody and kind of snuggled into their neck. Yes, like okay, yes, like a like a baby. No, no, like yes, not not not. Actually, not, if he's transferred like to everyone's year, one or two year old. If he's transferred in one's neck, it's more like a goiter. Four. <laughs> it's, it's goiter groot. Hey, hey guys, hey guys. Yeah. It's a tree. <laughs> Are you... Sapling groot, not sapling. He's definitely not a sapling. I think. I think a what sapling. our. I think what our bright young friend John is saying is we're maybe overthinking this. Maybe <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we are. We're getting a little too I think, I th- Yeah, we we perhaps wandered a bit too. Okay, was that your good thing, Mary? That, are you done? Yes. Okay. Very good. Blanche, thought of it. Do I get a bad thing? Look, you know what? Here, here's no. Uh, before you go on, I, I honestly had been holding on to something, mm-hmm. holding on to it. Like, okay, no, uh, maybe I'll say it now. Maybe I'll say no, and it's gone. Wow. It is gone. <laughs> I will probably interject in and interrupt one of you, and I apologize in advance for that. Okay. But it, when it hits me, I'm gonna yelp. But yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it won't come back. I'm sorry. That's okay. Mary, Go ahead. Mary, you said you had a bad thing? I'm surprised because you, you were laughing and crying all through this movie. It seemed to touch I all of the... I was laughing and crying. It seemed to touch it your emotions. all my things. Um, my bad thing was Kurt Russell's fair faucet hair. That was a bad thing? 
That was a wonderful thing. What are you talking about? It was awesome. Men did not have that ferocity of hair. Oh, yes, they did. Sorry. Hey, Barry Gibb, okay? Maybe not in San Bernardino. Barry Gibb's a perfect example. Barry Gibb, you're absolutely right. Barry Gibb did. What's his name? Oh, God. No, Barry Gibb didn't have that kind of hair. Megaforce, what's his name? Oh, Barry Bostwick. Yeah, in the Grease days. Barbarino. What about oh, the yeah, Cassidy's? Right. All the, you know. Oh, the no, ca- this was hot rolled hair. That's, well, he was a god. He's allowed. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure if you can create a whole planet, you can probably go to Walmart and buy a hot roller. I, I think that's within well, his. That's he had his, he had his own hairdresser. That's true. We saw that in the credits. Um, the same. That's my bad thing. I okay. don't like the hot roller. Well, you're really reaching. All right. Okay. <sighs> Mantis was there to calm him down and do his hair. Right to help him sleep, and uh, and to because it's hard to sleep with those big rollers. I understand. Exactly. I I don't remember what my one point was. I did laugh out loud throughout much of the film. I do agree with a lot of Jeff's points about some of the things. I did kind of find the whole. This is kind of an episode in the life of the Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. where they maybe save the galaxy in one moment at the end and where it becomes an issue about the galaxy it's it's not a, a great piece of filmmaking it is a lot of fun but i also did have trouble with the human trafficked girl whoever she is the the character the, the mantis the, mantis mantis thank you mantis who i don't know that was weird i i'm not familiar with i don't know if she's part of the canon she is she is part she of the she's part of comic book canon yes okay well she wasn't explained I don't understand who she is or why she's there, but it was very Stockholm syndrome and a little bit creepy, and I uh, I don't even know. And then the fact that she was obviously afraid of him, and she runs off with the Guardians of the Galaxy, no questions asked. I don't know. It was it was I think it was a big question mark, mm-hmm. and that I did not love, and was like, well, what the hell? Who is this person? Why you know? So that that's that's a gripe. The thing about this movie, my good and bad is the the same thing and it's exactly what Blanche said when you summed it up after and we were at dinner it's a very silly movie it was funny all the way through I enjoyed it I was absolutely entertained I was moved at certain points and it was also so silly that I can barely remember much of it very little of it stuck with me I think it, it evaded most of the obvious pitfalls of sequels but as as Jeff said rightly so it it's very much a sequel it, it, it's not, it can't escape what it is uh, and it and it didn't, but they did succeed in making a good film that was not an absolute retread of the first film. So yeah, I think it's hardly a standalone film. It's barely a standalone. No, film. here's I mean, here's, I... here's the mark of I think of a good sequel. If is is if you saw a um, like Godfather two, you know, to, for, if you if it's if it's a film that you see without having seen the first film. And it still stands up and you still like it. That that what you get out of it does not depend on nostalgia or pre-existing affection that was created by the first film. And I don't think if this was the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I think I would just say, oh, well, Marvel really, you know, just tossed that, it. Yeah, there'd be funny, well, entertaining points, but I don't think you'd fully care. Yeah. And, even, and, even, and we don't fully care, actually. No, we don't. I think they hit points in the... In the second movie from the first movie, um, he's trying to dance with Gamora. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so they, they hit a lot of the same points of the first movie, which if you didn't see the first movie and you saw this one, it wouldn't 
you wouldn't be going what? Well, that 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 brings up another point, and I think uh, I think maybe Blanche uh, asked Jeff about it. Uh, did did this movie advance the characters? Did they further develop? Were their relationships deeper by the end of it? And I think in some cases, yes. I think in in one important case, not necessarily. Uh, they were very careful about not plunging headfirst into a uh, romance between Quill and Gamora in the first film. And in this film, they're they're dancing around it still, which could get irritating. But they did... Th- there was no question by the end of the film how deeply attached to each other they are. But they're still... I still don't know if it's romantic or not. You know, she I, think the biggest... I, think every, I think every one of the characters advance in this film. If you think about every single character, they all had their own denouement, you know? Please, mm-hmm. please elaborate. Because, I, because for me... The, the one character that advanced for us, at least to, to further this whole series of films, which I think they want to do, is is Gamora and her sister. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Yeah, um, I agree with but, that. But please, yeah. John, tell me more. Because well, the Quill's relationship with Doku, Doku realizing, you know, coming across and realizing that uh, he doesn't want to just hurt this kid. That he's always loved him, et cetera, and that kind of thing, and uh, and Rocket coming to uh, you know realize that that he's really just been had a bunch of self hate because of his image and stuff, and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that came out of this stuff. Even the little the little lieutenant of, of was it uh, don't not know what's his name? Not uh, Doku, y- Yondu. Yondu. Yondu's Yondu's lieutenant. You know, even James Gunn, had this, Gunn's brother. Yeah. So it's like every one of them had something that they went through. Uh, a realization, and even Quill, the realization that uh, that being a biological father isn't everything. Yeah, I, I think that that's probably the fact that 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 uh, when people, when Guardian of the Galaxy one uh, came around and and was a big hit, and, uh, the the big question was, oh, who's Quill's father? That was they were setting up. Well, they set it up, they answered it, and now that doesn't have to be a driving issue anymore. Whatever the next film is, they don't have to drag that anchor. So. Um, yeah, I, Quill. I think it, you know he came to terms with his past. He came to. I mean, he sort of felt like, you know, I was cheated out of something because I was. I never met my father. My mother died young. I was raised by these, you know, these uh, uh, mercenaries, yeah. and people. and you know, and, and then you looked and he looked back on the and, and the relationship with Yondu was was set up in the first one because people even the, even the first one asking, well, why didn't we kill this kid? Why didn't we eat him? Why didn't we just drop him off with his dad you know and Yandu never had a good answer for it he was always sort of evasive it was a that he had this relationship for which he had no explanation for so I, I think that's true I did really like the way that that they did they left it I agree with Blanche they, they, they left it with Gamora and uh, and but here's and, uh, another go ahead I'm sorry finish well I was just saying I just the the I, I like the fact that that while Gamora has found uh, the sort of alternate alternative family uh, Nebula was in no way close to being able to let go of the anger, the rage she has, and that she's still going off on this sort of suicidal quest to kill their father. I just, I kind of, I like when people like get close to being able to let go of something and then can't, mm-hmm. because that to me is very true to life. Seeing that, right? Way too many times. Yes, and that's kind. Of, that kind of goes into what I, I want to say is that that I had a hard time. With uh, Chris Pratt's character, Star Lord Quill's character of of just so readily getting rid of his father after all these years of wanting to know who his 
father is and then learning that he's celestial and learning and like well the thing that was missing from this film because we were expected to remember from the first film like all the abilities that Quill had the fact that he was able to go on space remember how he's like drifting in space and he doesn't die and holds the infinity stone and doesn't die I mean these are abilities that he's relied upon presumably as Star-Lord and doing his various guarding of the galaxy adventures and then he's got no problem with I mean, even on a personal level, if he just if he decides, I don't give a shit about you, Dad. You're a really bad guy, but it is a personal sacrifice because once he's told, "Hey, once you kill me, you don't have that anymore," which that's not fully explained. Genetics means nothing. It's about a power of proximity or something. I don't know. That great stake didn't seem, even though I knew all of that, it didn't feel weighty enough. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yes, I, like I it wasn't you- made weighty. I got to tell you that, uh, you know, considering his his newfound abilities, etc., mm-hmm. uh, it sounded like you said gardening of the galaxy huh. rather than, than guardians Quite of the true. galaxy. Quite true. Quite literally true. Uh, one thing um, I, I did feel uh, about the way it ended, uh, Ego did one of those villain things where he tosses off casually uh, a statement that is going to completely change how the hero feels about him. In this case... Oh, boy, you know, I was really spending way too much time on Earth. I didn't want to put that tumor in your mom's head. What? I mean, I, Quill, Quill loved his mother. That That is set up in a heartbreaking way in the first eight minutes of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. So yeah. when, he's, when he's willing to kill this guy because he says, you know, he's willing to give up godhood, as Blanche mentions, because you killed my mother. I I believed it, but I the way they got to it seemed... Uh, tacked on. Tacked on. Heavy-handed. Heavy-handed is another mm, way to Not it, well yeah. enough. I just, yeah, it was not, it didn't connect well. Did not connect I don't well. think. I mean, the, the, was... the elements were there. Like, we should have gotten it, mm-hmm. you know, but it was a big decision, and I just didn't feel it hit home. I don't know. Go ahead. Okay. My feeling was it wasn't totally needed. It was overkill. What? I mean, yeah, the tumor say, that he oh, did. Oh, the tumor! I gave your mom yeah. the tumor that killed her. That was kind of overkill. His dad has been revealed to be this megalomaniac, gonna kill. He's gonna destroy universes because he can. That's a good point, Mary. That's a yeah. good point, and you wonder if that wasn't just put on there because yeah. maybe during some sort of uh, review oh, or screening, yeah, or they said, yeah, why, I don't know why he hates his dad so much. Why would he kill his father? And then they had to give him a good reason. Yeah, because... It needed the, the, a personal trigger. Exactly. Yeah. It needed a personal trigger. And that that's what irritated me. That was, okay, that was my most irritating moment while watching the movie. It just, as a writer, I flinched when he said, really regretted having to put that tumor in her head. The, it it mm-hmm. wasn't, I mean, it would have been one thing if, oh, exposure to my celestial radiance gave her cancer exactly like, that's okay that's fine i'll buy that i murdered your mother by by yes. i loved her too much i should have left i shouldn't have spent too much time with her but yes i i put it to well if you're gonna why put a tumor I, in her head why not just yeah murder her yeah you're a god why not just you know blast the meat off her bones i mean what, they could have even they could have even her. just said he did he didn't he could have saved her but didn't you know, because yes. of his power. I'll tell you something. At my age, uh, I think it would have been uh, improved a lot that when uh, that city on Earth was being decimated, that uh, Steve McQueen would be running away from it. 
Yeah, it did sort of look like the blob made out of those uh, illuminated uh, ice cubes that they have. Exactly. <laughs> I also want to say I'm sorry that Nathan Fillion's uh, his yeah. character's movie festival, which I think was in that same town, got cut. <laughs> Yeah, which which would have it would have been nice because uh, the movie the the blob would have been eating the movie theater, and I'm sure that was intended as a homage or a reference. So yes, yeah, it's too. Yeah, he was he was playing uh, uh, Simon. Simon Williams Wonder Man, uh, who's who's a superhero and an actor in the Marvel universe. An actor. He was in a Tony Stark biopic, kind of like Steve Jobs. He was in a kind of an Ator. They, they had like five. Yeah, they had like five. Films. It was hilarious, and it would have been fun to see. But no, James Gunn had to have five and credit sequences. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've probably squeezed all the blood out of this turnip we're gonna get. So num num num. Thank you very much to John Blanche and Mary. Hope Jeff, Jeff. gets safely to his destination. We will be back in two weeks, and this time. Damn it, we are going to do the most racist Asian-American detective of the 1930s. We're going to do it. It's going to happen. Okay, thanks very much for joining us. We will talk to you again in two weeks, and until then, later.